Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we come before you grateful for the gifts that have been given to give honor and glory to you. To help this church carry on the ministry, proclaiming the good news of God with us, Emmanuel. And Lord, as we come to hear your word proclaimed and be able to receive the gifts that you give to us as we interpret the scriptures, God, may something in what is being said bring joy to our hearts so that we can go forth from here living out the Christmas message with our lives. All this we ask in and through the one who came so long ago as a babe born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You'll uh, note that we've been going through the, pro- the prophecies of Isaiah that point to Jesus in some people's minds as, as we look at these prophecies that have been given to us. And they were uttered well before Jesus came upon the earth. And so uh, they give us a tie back to God's promises in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New. But as we'll talk about today, we, let's not jump too early uh, to that because Isaiah is speaking to a particular people at a particular time. So hear now the word of the Lord as found in the prophet Isaiah, the seventh chapter, starting with verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to worry mortals that you worry my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and call him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows to refuse the good from the evil. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before you, whose two kings you are in dread, will be deserted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you've been in church long enough, you probably have heard this old story that a preacher had invited the kids down for, for children's church. And he started to ask questions like, you know, preachers sometimes do, hoping to get a response. And he, he said, you know, I, I saw this, this creature and, it, and I want you to tell me what it is. It had a big bushy tail and it was hopping around and, and it, it was going in throughout my backyard and it was climbing trees and, and eating some nuts. And he said, what type of creature is that? What is that creature? You probably already got in your mind what that creature is, but the kids didn't answer. They're being kind of shy. And so he went on a little bit more. He said, well, you know, sometimes these creatures with the big bushy tail that likes nuts get into my bird feeder and they, they eat some of the bird food. And, and sometimes you see them leaping from tree to tree because, you know, they're so skilled at being in high places like that. You know, what, what is this creature that I'm, I'm asking about? And still the kids were silent. And finally, one little boy spouted out. He said, you know, preacher, that sounds an awful like a lot like a squirrel, but you know the answer is Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, it might be a little lame. I, I get that. I get that. But isn't that what we do sometimes when we look at the Old Testament? We, we automatically jump and assume that, that 
it's all about Jesus, and in some ways it is. But before we can do that and look at things through the lens of Jesus, we have to see how Isaiah, particularly in this text, was speaking to the people at that time and that place. Because, you know, this text, sure, it lends itself to being a text about Jesus. This is what Matthew quotes in the first chapter. And a child is born and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, directly quoting Isaiah. So I get us wanting to do that. But oftentimes when we put on the Jesus glasses too early, we miss what God is saying to the people at that time and thus saying to us. So, let us look for the squirrel, so to speak, in, in this passage. And of course, we'll see some things about Jesus too. The setting for this text is, we believe, around 734 B.C. That's 734 years before uh, the birth of Christ. And it's a time in the southern kingdom where there's great fear and trepidation because the great superpower of the time, Assyria, is on the move again. And the two kingdoms that are just above the southern kingdom of Judea, the northern kingdom Israel and another country called Syria, are wanting to form an alliance so that they can maybe stop the Assyrian advance. And the, the king of Israel, Pekah, and the king of Syria, Reason, have come to Ahaz and said, hey, let's, let's bond together and so that we can beat the Assyrians. And Ahaz, well, he didn't really have anything to do with this. But they are saying, well, if you don't join us, we're going to come conquer you. And we're going to put a king in place that is going to join with us so that we can, can kind of beat the Assyrians. And Ahaz doesn't want to do this. He's being warned not to do this. But it's a reminder sometimes that how we can ally ourselves with people really that don't have our best interests at hearts, do we? we? We see that sometimes that there are things... Well, that say, hey, if you join me, things are going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Joining a, a, a band of knaves together and trying to find wisdom, so to speak. We see something like this happening earlier in the, in the history of Israel and Judah. King Ahab went to Jehoshaphat and said, hey, let's go attack Syria. Now, did you note just a minute ago that Syria and Israel were combining together the fight? Now, uh, earlier on, they fought each other. It's just the way it happens sometimes in politics, right? Well, Jehoshaphat said, sure, yeah, I'll join with you. Let, let, let's do this, but let's talk to a prophet of God. And, and Ahab said, well, you know, I got all these prophets around. They're saying go and do it. But Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of the Lord? And they found one, Micaiah. And he's saying, oh, yeah, you go do that, and, and uh, you're going to get whipped. <laughs> Ahab is going to even die. And Ahab said, didn't I tell you, don't see that guy? All he gives us is bad news. Anyways, they do get whipped. Ahab is killed. And Jehoshaphat has to flee in disorder. That, some, sometimes that happens when we're asked to ally with people that really don't have our best interests at heart. We, we see this in the political order all the time. Back in World War I, the Ottoman Empire foolishly joined with the Germans and the Austrians, and of course they lost their empire. We, we see that happening in World War II when Italy and, Bel and the Bulgarians joined with the Germans and you know, when it happened there. And today we're seeing that, aren't we? With Belarus being pressured to join Russia in the fight against Ukraine. I mean, we see this happen all the time on the political sphere. But you're not here for a history lesson or a lesson on politics. How does this apply 
to us as individuals when, when people or things try to get us to ally our lives with them or, or join in, in with them. And really, they don't have our best interests at heart. Dave Ramsey says this. He said, American Express doesn't really care about you. They want you to use their card to spend lots of money and so you can pay it back at high interest to them, right? We see that all the time this season of the year. People trying to buy happiness and trying to give in to the commercial pressures that are out there. And these stores, these advertisers, these things that want us to click as they pop up on our screens online, they don't have our best interests at heart, do they? For ultimately, money and power don't. Commercial goods don't. Jesus talks about this when he uses the word mammon. Mammon means possessions and wealth. He said, if you ally with wealth, then you can't be an ally of God. For you'll love one and hate the other. For you cannot be an ally. I've changed the text just a little bit, but it fits the point of God and money. See, money doesn't have our best interest at heart. It gets straight to our hearts and it captures us, doesn't it? John Wesley said, I give what I, my money away quickly unless it finds, my way, it finds its way to my heart. We went to Biltmore uh, this past weekend. And it was great, beautiful, saw all the lights, and you know, we, we see all the, the excess of wealth of the Vanderbilts. And so we started reading about them, and it's interesting to note how they got all this money, and it captured the hearts, and they ended up losing it all. And I was uh, listening to uh, how the founder of the Vanderbilt Wealth, Cornelius Vanderbilt, on his deathbed is pleading and praying, and hoping to have some peace. Why? Because he had done everything in his power to obtain money, didn't care who he, he cut loose, and his relationships he broke, even undercutting his own dad and his sons. And on his deathbed, he realizes that I've allied with something that is fleeting. You see, there are so many things in this world that would cause us to chain our lives to them. But they're false allies. And they aren't truly what can bring to us ultimate joy and happiness and peace. G.K. Chesterton, the great author and theologian, said this, Evil wins when naivete and sinful inclinations are bound together. And he says ultimate naivete or ignorance is not seeing that evil in things that we deem as good. So, here's Ahaz. Here we are in the story. Being pressured by these kings to ally with them, to fight this great nation, and he doesn't want to do it. And, and Isaiah says, you don't have to do it. Let me give you a sign, ask for a sign. And Ahaz kind of piously says, well, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. You know, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's something we hear later on, right, in the life of Jesus when he's being tempted, said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And 
Ahaz says, well, tough, you're, you're going to get a sign. And here's the sign. A babe is going to be born. A child is going to come into your midst. Now, you heard the version I read is is interpreted a young woman. There are other translations that will say that this is a virgin giving birth. Either way, a baby is being born. Whether it's to a young woman who has not yet been married and will soon have a baby, or there's a, a pregnant woman that is there in the court, maybe Isaiah's own child, or Ahaz's wife, we don't know for sure. But a baby is going to be born. An ordinary child is going to be brought into this world. That's interesting to note, isn't it? Because babies are born all the time. Children come to this earth all the time. It's an ordinary happening, but it's a happening of great joy and a a sign that there is a future and there is a hope. For that's what you see God does lots of times in this world. He uses the ordinary to give us a sign of his presence here with us. He uses the things that we see around us to remind us that I am here, Emmanuel, God with us. Because, well, babies come, don't they? And they're a reminder that there is something that is out there that gives us hope. God with us. It's amazing how God uses the ordinary things around us to give us hope, to remind us that God is there with us. Amenia Brown writes in a poem called, How Do I Know When I'm Hearing the Voice of God? And I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be on the screen. And you can follow along as I read to kind of reinforce what's going on here. She says, how do you know you're hearing from God? She said, how do you know when you're hearing from God? I didn't know how to explain it. It's explained the butter grit of cornbread to a mouth that has just discovered it has a tongue. The sound of jazz to ears, you only ever thought they'd be lobes of flesh. The sight of sunsets to blinded eyes that are an instant can see. To fail at the ability to give words to how the scent of baked bread can make the mind recall a memory. Every detail of a house a room, a kitchen, a conversation. Like explaining to a newborn baby that it is what it feels like to be held. My words never felt so small, so useless, so incapable. Say, put your hand to the middle of your chest and feel the rhythm there. I wanted to say you'll find the holy text in so many places, on crinkly pages of scripture and dusty hymnals, and the creases of a grandmother's smile, the way she clasps her hands, the way she prays familiar with reverence as if to dignitary and to a friend, the way she sings a simple song from her porches turned into cathedrals. I wanted to tell her to hear God, you have to be willing to experience what's holy in places many people don't deem sacred. That God sometimes sits next to you on a bar stool, spilling truth to you like too many beers. Haven't heard beer too much in church, I know. <laughs> that, that God cares about the moments we find ourselves on the edge of a cliff, on the edge of sanity, even when we have less than an inch left of the thread that's been holding us together. I want to tell her God is always waiting 
lingering after the doors close and the phones don't ring and we are finally alone. God is always saying, I love you. I'm here. Don't go. Stay, please. How many of us just like here, just like me, just like you are still searching, still questioning, still doubting? I know I don't have all the answers. I know I never will. That sometimes the best thing we can do is put our hand to the middle of our chest, feel the rhythm there, turn down the noise in our minds and our lives and whisper, God, whatever you want to say, I'm here. I'm listening. Wow. Hearing and experiencing God in the ordinary around us. Now, I don't know about you, but it reminds me the next time I eat a piece of cornbread, that's a sign and a symbol from God. That when we experience the beauty that is all around us, like a sunrise or a sunset, even on a cold day like today, that's God here with us. It's to see that when we see a faithful saint walking through the door, being led by a walker and maybe dragging behind her a canister of oxygen, there is God with us, a sign and a symbol of grace, Emmanuel. Thomas Merton reminded us how often we don't realize the smallness of God's presence with us. He said, when was the last time you took a drink of water and had a drink of water? Experiencing in the moment that God is here with us in this incarnation called this created world. And if we look at life that way, if we see the earth as filled with the glory and presence of God, as Gerard Manley Hopkins said, the earth is charged with the grandeur of God. We can then see this world as a sacrament, as signs and as symbols that usher us into something greater than itself, a greater reality, a greater presence, a greater truth. For God is here, Emmanuel, in the ordinary. That's what Isaiah is saying in this baby that comes. An ordinary baby being born in your midst before the time it is weaned. That's what, it, that's what he's saying there when it's eating curds and, and honey together. By the time it has baby formula, you're going to see something great happen. And this is a sign to you that this baby is a sign and symbol of God with us. Emmanuel. And of course, Matthew, 700 years later, picks up the words of Isaiah and said, yeah, a baby is a sign and a symbol of God with us, God's presence with us, but we've got the ultimate sign here in this baby being born, this Jesus, for he is the one who comes as the ultimate sign of God's love, the ultimate sign of God's taking away our sinfulness, ultimate sign of taking away all the enemies that would oppress us. We think the Assyrians are bad. Well, what about sin and fear and death? God, through Christ, has conquered all those things. Emmanuel, God with us in the form of a babe born in Bethlehem so long ago. Sign and a symbol, you see, of God 
with us. This season is filled with signs, isn't it? I mean, we started out Advent bringing in and ushering in all the glorious things that you see around us. You know, the the lights on the tree remind us that the light of the world has come. The evergreens are a reminder that God is never dying, never failing. The circles remind us of the never-ending nature of God, the eternal nature of God. And we see the red here and the poinsettias remind us that Jesus spilt his blood so that we might be forgiven and free. These signs and symbols are all around us, and they should help us remind us that God is near. God is present with us. And if we go out on a winter day, and you know, this is a different environment for me because down south, it's green all year round. It is. I mean, it stays green all year round. It is full of pines, but the oak trees don't, they shed their leaves all year. I mean, what a pain to rake. But there's greenery, there's greenery all year round. Here, you know, there's not a lot of that, but we see hints of life, don't we? And the pine trees and the fir and the rhododendrons reminding us that there is life even in the winters of our existence. And this tale that we're told about the birth of Jesus, it's really an ordinary story in so many ways. There is a mother that is pregnant and a father having to follow the rules of a brutal empire to travel when she's pregnant a long distance by foot. Now, all the pictures have her riding on a donkey, but that's probably not true. She's walking. And if any of you all have been nine months pregnant and walked several hundred miles, I don't think you want to do that, do you? Men, you can just nod your heads. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But in the midst of all that, you got to wonder, what were Mary and Joseph thinking? And when they get to this place where they're supposed to register to be taxed, they're placed in a barn. And they're saying, is this really God with us? And who knows what sign or symbol they got. I like to think in that barn there was a little lamb who had been born just a few months before. And they can see that God is taking care of that little lamb and God's going to care for them too. And we know about these shepherds. Yeah, they, they see an angel, but what's the sign that the shepherds get? Go see a baby. Now, we gussy up the language a little bit. They're wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying there in a manger. And we think, oh, that's something real special. No, it's not. In an age when there are poor people who were homeless, oftentimes, like these shepherds, well, where are they going to place their family? Because shepherds were very poor. They're going to see a mother place her baby And the only thing they could find is a a crib, a feeding trough. And so they go and see someone a lot like them in a place a lot like where they came from, in a barn, in a manger. But it's a sign of Emmanuel, God with them. And the signs are all around us if we pay attention. I got a confession to make. I have had the TikTok app. 
<laughs> yes, I have. I, I confess. A friend of mine sent me a story that I'm, you're going to hear one day in a sermon, but the only way I could look at the story, Will, I had to register to be on TikTok. And it's addictive. I've had to delete the app because I was watching sports stuff and I was watching comedians and I was, well, you know, watching airplanes. I mean, it, you just, oh, golly, here's another one. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, why did I want Deion Sanders to be the coach of Auburn? Because I saw him give a speech that said, I believe in work, hard work, which is in the Auburn Creed. But anyways, we won't go down that rabbit hole too far. But um, on TikTok, there's all sorts of interesting videos. If you haven't subscribed to that, young people, um, just watch out. You'll... you'll I'll take you down some rabbit holes for sure. But I was watching it, and I saw in there that, and I think it was Brazil, all these people are gathered on a beach, and they're taking pictures, and they looked into the sky, and there, they, there appeared to be an angel there in the sky. Some of you all that have been on TikTok may have seen that. And they're all excited because there is an angel there flying around, and they're, and, and they're all excited, and they're saying, there's God here with us. And I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not going to uh, judge that. But oftentimes, that's what we think about when we think about God appearing to us. Oh, there's a bright angel. And, and there, there is the, this thing that is there going to be like a burning bush or flames from heaven or an angel appearing as a, a bright light. I don't know if many of us will get that experience. Maybe. But... God more often sends messengers, which, by the way, angel in the Greek and the Hebrew, the two languages mainly the Bible's written in, means this, just messenger of God. That's all it means. And I believe we all will have messengers of God come to us in small ways, like babies being born, like people embracing us in love, like hearing our own heart beat or clasping the hand of someone dear to us. Signs and symbols of Emmanuel, God with us. You know, Christmas is a time for stories, isn't it? You know, it's particularly stories about God being with us and in maybe some ways that we don't anticipate. And Robert Berenger tells a story uh, about a fellow He's kind of old and bitter at life, named Pete Richards, and he, he runs a, 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 little, a little jewelry store, and, and one day near Christmas, he's there in the store, and he, he notices this little girl has her face pressed against the window, and she's been there looking for a long time at the things there in the, in the window. There's some, you know, watches and some necklaces and some, and some pearls and some porcelain dolls and things like that. And finally, she enters in, she said, I found what I want. That, that strand of blue, uh, blue beads there, that's what I want. Can, can, I, can I get that? And, and Pete Richards uh, looks at her kind of skeptically, but he, he pulls it out and, and gives it to her. And he said, she said, oh, this will be such, such a perfect gift for my older sister. For you see, this is the first Christmas we've had since our mother has died. And... I think it would be a great gift. And Pete Richards, in looking at that little girl with her corn silk hair and, and ocean blue eyes, is reminded of another lady who years ago had captured his heart, but 
on a rainy night in a slick road, a truck took that woman from him. And he had been bitter and angry ever since. And this little girl's sweet request of wanting to buy this necklace for, his, for her sister touched his heart. And she says, here it is. Let me, get, let me pay you for it. And she pulls out a handkerchief and dumps change and a few wadded bills on there. Pete Richards looks at her, seeing what little money is there on the counter, and says, okay, this will do. And the girl says, well, it's all I've got. I've given you everything. Well, she runs off with the necklace after he wrapped it up in a box and saying, don't lose it, okay? (laughs) You know, make sure you take care of that. And a few days later, you know, the business of Christmas, he kind of forgets that encounter when on Christmas Eve, not too far from closing time, the door opens up and a older and taller version of this little girl walks in. She has the same corn silk hair and the same deep blue eyes. And she said, do you own this place? She said, yes. He said, yes, I do. He said, here's this necklace. I can tell you that my sister could not afford this necklace. She must have taken it. And the man looked at this older version of the little girl who is named Julie and said, I don't discuss the price between the proprietor and the customer, but I'll tell you this, it was the most precious gift and precious item ever bought in this store because she gave all she had. And then he said, her coming into my store was a reminder of the one who gave all for me. And it gives me hope now that he is here with me. So thank you for your sister reminding me A sign given, a symbol presented. And those things are all around us right now. The question is, do the wreaths, the gifts, the parties, the packages, are they just mere trinkets and ornaments or a reminder of Emmanuel, God with us, all around us? all the time. Are they symbols? Are they signs? Are they trinkets? That's your choice, you see, you have to make. You know, I was writing this sermon and I started out talking about this bushy-tailed creature that was, um, some people call a squirrel, the kid called it Jesus, but you know, whatever it was, but As I was sitting in the recliner in our office and looking out the window, I saw this bushy-tailed, small little creature rooting around in the mulch. What could that mean? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. We come before you, God, acknowledging the fact that sometimes we're so busy at this season 
so distracted, so overcome with cares that we forget to see that you have come to us in so many ways, giving us signs of hope and signs of, of love, and we miss them. Or we think they're so ordinary that how could this be something that comes from heaven to us? So help us, God, to be more available to those things that you bring into our lives every day and to see them as symbols of hope when sometimes life seems so hopeless, seems so hectic, seems so conflicted. Help us, Lord, to have eyes that see that you are here, Emmanuel, God with us. And may we then be signs and symbols of your presence to others so that they can leave and know that they have hope. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, the one who truly is God with us, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen.